Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 89. Hey, I'm Chris Ducker, author of Virtual Freedom and host of the new business podcast. And you've just stumbled upon one of my favorites. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my buddy, Jeff Brown. Most of us have never been taught how to interview. You know, even those who go back to school and get their MBA, how to hire people is totally omitted from the syllabus. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi and welcome. Thanks for being here. The podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Each week, we sit down with another successful and inspiring author and we talk about their latest book and their unique insights on things like leadership, personal development, productivity, career, marketing, business, and entrepreneurship. And in today's episode, we're going to be chatting with Alan Foster, the co-author of Power Score, your formula for leadership success. I plan to ask Alan about defining your priorities and how to distinguish them from goals, how to hire the right people and match them to the right priorities, the four steps to achieving a 90% hiring success rate, yes, it is possible, and quite a bit more. I'm excited to let you know that this episode of Read to Lead is supported by SoFi, a leading marketplace lender. You could save thousands when you refinance your federal and private student loans at lower rates with SoFi. And as a Read to Lead listener, you can take advantage of a special $200 welcome bonus when you refinance your student loans. Go to SOFI.com slash read to lead. Accelerate your success with a smarter loan. Speaking of smarter, Jeff Smart, Randy Street, and Alan Foster, our guest today, work at GH Smart, a consulting firm that helps leaders hire and develop talented teams and run them at full power. The company was named one of the world's top firms in Broderick's The Art of Managing Professional Services and has been profiled in The Checklist Manifesto, The Little Big Things, and The Rare Find. The firm is also the subject of two Harvard Business School cases. Allen is a consultant at GH Smart, where he serves private equity investors, Fortune 500 clients, and nonprofit organizations in the areas of leadership selection, development, and organizational transformation. Well, Alan, thank you so much for being here. We are thrilled to have you as, as part of the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, uh, I know we're going to be digging in into quite a bit more detail here in just a little bit. But first, before we do that, I wanted to ask you to give us a basic understanding of what you and your co-authors mean by power score. Describe that uh, equation for us, if you will. Well, for the last 20 years, myself uh, and, and Jeff Smart and Randy Street, my co-authors, we, we've really been on a quest and we've been fielding 
calls from CEOs and business leaders whenever they have a really critical hiring or other high stakes leadership decision. And we've been meeting with uh, different executives, about 15,000 of them. um, And we realized that we'd been asking them the same questions. We've been getting their entire professional bio. And yet we've just been sitting on that data. And so about four years ago, a couple of professors from the University of Chicago called us up and said, look, could you hand over all your data and we will analyze what matters most in terms of leaders just like what people think are their challenges but you know you're a bunch of psychologists and and business folks can you tell us what actually makes the difference and what's the difference between the most successful leaders and then and you know and then the rest of us and you know what it turned out to to boil it down is we found there are three things that make the difference um leaders who focus on priorities they focus on the who issues, getting the right people in the right roles, and then they focus on the relationships. And we came up with a metric, a, a score by which people, leaders could measure their effectiveness that we're calling the power score. P, W, and R making up, of course, that, that, that equation. How much more successful are leaders, Alan, who run their teams at full power in your estimation? So we, we went back and we assessed for every executive we've met, um, what does the top decile look like and how successful have they been in their careers? Mm. And we found that they were 20 times more likely to have had a successful career than those who were running their teams at low power as as we measured it. So it really seemed to make a a massive difference in terms of the outcomes that they've achieved. Well, let's dig in uh, to some of the more specifics, starting with priorities. Uh, So how do priorities, in your view, differ from what we might traditionally think of, Alan, as, as goals? We, we, we actually had a client and we, we were asking them, you know, to what extent do you have the right priorities? And the, the COO looked at me and said, what do you mean, Alan? We, you know, we, we have the right priorities. I said, well, how many do you have? And he said, Great. well, we have 164 goals. <laughs> And I said, really? Well, it's, you know, how's that working out for you? He's <laughs> like, well, actually, it's pretty exhausting. And I said, you know, how, how did that happen? He said, well, we're a very inclusive culture. We're very collaborative and everyone is allowed to set their own goals. And, you know, we, we would argue that, yes, they may have had 164 goals, but they didn't actually have any priorities. Mm. And that really for us is the difference. Well, the research suggests that only 9% of all leaders truly excel at making decisions, especially those, Alan says, that eliminate options. Alan, why do so many leaders struggle, you think, with a, with a low P-score more often than not? Yeah, so sort of a P-score being someone who gets a low score for the question, like to what extent do you have the right priorities? Mm. We, we, we find that as humans, we, we, we want to be liked by those that we work with. And it's much easier to say yes to our teams, our peers, to our bosses than it is to say no. (laughs) And people come up with good ideas and they say, how about we pursue that? And we want to be empowering and we want to help them be successful. And we know we don't want to be, you know, seen as a dictator. So we say, sure, great. Um, And and then uh, these goals and these um, ideas just proliferate. And it's much harder to say no than it is to say yes, which is why, um, you know, what we find with managers who are in their, we meet who are in their mid-30s, and we say, you know, how many priorities do you, do you have? And they think about it, and they say, you know what, you know, probably seven or eight. 
And then, you know, when we get to some of the more senior executives, people in their mid 40s, and we say, how many priorities do you have? You know, and they say, you know what, I have, I've got five or six. And then we meet some of the more successful CEOs. We say, well, how many priorities do you have? And they say, oh, you know, we've got, we've got three or four. And I was, I was with the um, CEO of a, of a Fortune 20 company recently. And I said, uh, you know, so how many priorities do you have? And he said, well, Alan, I've got two. But actually, really, I've only got one. <laughs> and, and we find that over the course of people's career, people learn to focus on fewer and fewer things that truly matter. And the sooner leaders can have that insight, the sooner they can get that focus earlier in their careers, which will help them. It will give their teams more clarity and give them more direction. Let me ask you, uh, Alan, you say that getting the who part right, the next step in that equation, the next process, is, is probably the single most important thing that we do. Why do you believe that? When we go through leaders' careers, we ask for every single role that they've had, we ask them, so what were you hired to get done in that role? You know, what are you proud of? What, you know, what did you do well? And then we ask them, so what were three or four meaningful mistakes that you made? Meaningful mistakes. Mm. And nearly always they say some kind of people issue. And it nearly always, it, it, it's like I hired badly or I tolerated underperformance mm. or I didn't build my team correctly. And what they said, say is like, I didn't have a what issue. I had a who issue. <laughs> and so analytically when we looked at the data we found that it was the rarest strength in the day in the data sense about you know one in six people really excelled at hiring developing and building great teams and also managing out underperformers and yet when we go when i give speeches when we work with clients and we say what is the what's the most important issue that's dragging you down right now, they all raise their hands and say it's these who issues. And so that, that's why we pay so much attention to it. So what are some of the questions that we can ask ourselves? You've hinted at some, but what are some questions we can ask ourselves, Alan, that, that help us get better at who uh, centered around these, these concepts of uh, uh, diagnosis and deployment and development? As we were preparing to write the book, we got an email from a, a CEO who we knew, if you I think about five years ago, mm. a guy called Pat Panos. And he said, you know, I've, I'm in my 40s. I've actually retired. Um, I made so much money IPOing my last company, and, and I'd like to thank you. And we said, well, what did we say? We had no recollection of the conversation. He said, well, um, you got me to sit down with a blank piece of paper every quarter and say, if I had to deliver all the results I needed to, but I only had 50% of my team, who's who's on that team? Who's on the boat? And so he, he, he wrote down the names. He goes, okay, now I'm allowed 75% of my team, 75% of my organization. He wrote and he added on a few names. Now I'm allowed 85%. He'd add, like, you know, one more. And I said, so who haven't I listed here? And then he's told us, look, I had to ask myself some very profound questions so that I could upgrade my team. And he said that single biggest differentiating factor that he puts down to the the, the success of his career um, so that you know for that you need a pen and a piece of paper it doesn't cost you anything um, you you don't need to be doing something different every day this is a two-minute exercise once every few months mm. um, and yet our clients swear by it wow 
Well, if you struggle at all with interviewing, there's more great wisdom to come from Alan Foster. In the meantime, I want to let you know that the Read to Lead podcast is being brought to you today by a company called SoFi. Now, they're a leading marketplace lender that offers student loan refinancing, mortgages, and personal loans for ambitious professionals like you. Now, if you're carrying high student loan balances, you could save thousands by refinancing and consolidating your federal and private student loans at a lower rate. In fact, SoFi borrowers save an average $14,000 over the life of their loans. Now, in addition to savings, SoFi members benefit from unemployment protection. Should you lose your job, SoFi pauses your payment and provides access to a career services team for personalized career planning and job search assistance. To check out a full list of products and benefits, visit SOFI.com slash read to lead or click on the SoFi banner on the read to lead homepage. For a limited time, as a listener to this podcast, you're eligible for a special $200 welcome bonus when you refinance your student loan with SoFi. Again, just go to SOFI.com slash read to lead for this special offer and find your rate online within minutes. And according to the fine print, all loans are made by SoFi Lending Corp. NMLS number 1121636 and CFL license number 6054612. Well, uh, I want to dig uh, deeper still into the chapter on who, and, and as we mentioned a moment ago, sort of divided up into these three sections called diagnose, deploy, and development. And it's in the deploy section where Alan and his co-authors argue that the, the process of achieving a 90% hiring success rate begins with applying a four-step process that they call the WHO method. And we have these, these uh, four parts of that process, the scorecard, source, select and sell is is what you just described alan uh, a part of the scorecard process or is this different this is this is a really important point we find that when i'm going to make it up you know jeff from sales resigns <laughs> uh, the sales manager calls up hr and says help we've got to get a new job description we've got to get it up on the website let's put it on you know linkedin or monster and you know i just need a warm body in the in the seat as soon as possible and <laughs> you know hr jumps into action and you know they're interviewing people and no one has ever taken a deep breath and said hang on a sec the job description we have was actually written 5 years ago <laughs> to what extent does what we're looking for today match you know what we were looking for back then mm. actually the world's different and what we find that our best clients do is they write something called the scorecard. And the scorecard defines the success for that type of salesperson that you're looking for and what would make you thrilled in terms of the outcomes you want them to achieve. And so don't write down you want them to be a collaborative, inspiring leader. Like, I have no idea what that means, and <laughs> nor do any of your peers who are interviewing them, you know, uh, for the job as well. Write down, you know, they need to sell five accounts greater than $100,000 by the end of the third quarter. Mm. And once you start putting it into these measurable um, outcomes, and then you share with your colleagues, this is what I think we're looking for, and you get that down on a single piece of paper, suddenly you can, 
it's easier to interview people. It's easier to then onboard them and set their expectations for what you're looking for. But we're in such a rush that the majority of employers today and hiring managers, they, they, they assume everyone knows what they're hiring for. And, you know, that's far from the case. Hmm. Well, the next step is called uh, source, as in from where can we source the best people. What did your research show, Alan? Yes, the majority of clients who can afford it, if they can, we'll use head, you know we'll use executive search. They'll use headhunters. Mm-hmm. And yet, when we ask CEOs, and we actually went out um, a few years ago now and interviewed a bunch of billionaires and incredibly successful entrepreneurs, and said, "How do you source your best talent?" Seventy-seven percent of them said it's from their personal and from their professional networks, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is you should be out there asking um, the people you know best who you trust, who are the most talented people you know who I should hire? It doesn't cost money. It <laughs> takes some discipline uh, and, it, you know, and it takes an investment to actually do that. And when the, you know, the majority, everyone thinks they have a sourcing problem. Everyone says, I can't hire the tech people today because they're all going to Silicon Valley. And then our clients <laughs> take us to Silicon Valley and say, we can't pay enough because they're all going to Google. And then we go to Google and they say, we can't get these guys because they're all going to their own startups. And so everyone thinks that everyone else has it better. And the answer is everyone struggles with sourcing and consistently what the best companies do, irrespective of their industry, is they get their employees to tap their professional networks so that the whole company is out there recruiting versus just shrugging their shoulders and you know saying, well, HR isn't doing a good enough job. <laughs> well, the hardest step, Alan says, in the WHO method process is step three called select. And I personally found this to be uh, Alan, a gold mine of, of helpful tips and practices for interviewing. And, and I wish um, it's something that, that I had read when I was holding down a regular job and, and doing my fair share of interviewing potential uh, employees. Why do you feel that this step is often the hardest step for most hiring managers? Quite simply is that most of us have never been taught how to interview. Mm. You know, even those who go back to school and get their MBA, how to hire people is totally omitted from the syllabus. You're all focused on trying to figure out your working average cost of capital or how to price warranties or whatever it might be. Mm. But it isn't how do you hire and develop a great team. And so what we find people find most helpful is like, have a plan of attack before you go in and hire someone, figure out ahead of time who's going to ask the candidate which questions. And we find some questions just work much better than others. And so a classic mistake we find a lot of people make is they do what we call voodoo hiring, which is if an interview candidate walks into the room and they are a, you know, balding, late 30s, you know, English guy you know i'll think they're pretty good um but i wouldn't i won't be able to put my finger on exactly why i think they're pretty good and it's because they just you know they they remind me of me and yet instead of doing that we find ask questions about what the candidate has done in their past roles and literally we ask five questions we ask them what are you hired to do what are your what are the accomplishments you're proudest of third we ask what were some meaningful mistakes that you made in that role? Fourth, we say, like, who is your boss? 
you know, what were they like? What would they say about you when we call them? Um, and finally, why did you leave that job? Mm. And and the and these questions get real data that you can then listen to. And you know, at your, what you'll find as we lay out in the book, you know, when you first ask, you know, what was a mistake you made, and everyone will say, well, I was impatient, or I I worked too hard, or they'll give you some <laughs> kind of nonsense answer, which is really a compliment about themselves. And we teach you, you've got to go beyond that and say, you know, what was a meaningful mistake that you made? Or, you know, knowing what you know now, what coaching would you give yourself back in 2009? And people will spill the beans. It's amazing. Well, then there's the actual uh, process of, of selling the top candidates uh, on working for your company. That's the final step in the WHO method process. Uh, within that, Alan, what are, in your estimation, what are the five F's of, of selling? Yeah, so we, we find that the best people you could possibly hire already have great jobs that they don't want to leave. Thank you very much. <laughs> and the majority of people who are applying are actually, you know, are looking for good reason because other people haven't, you know, haven't wanted them. Mm. And so your job is how do you convince someone to leave a perfectly good job that they're probably very happy with, that the employer is going to fight not to let them leave and come and work for you, um, you know, and they don't know you. And so we find that there are five ways that you can woo somebody, that you can sell them. They are fit, family, freedom, fortune, and fun. And just to explain those, by fit, I mean, because you've interviewed them well, you can explain what is the fit between what they are great at, what they love doing, and what's the fit to what you need them to do. Mm. And you know what that is because you've written it down because it's called the scorecard and it was the first thing you did before you even interviewed them. Mm -hmm. The second F is family. And most people are desperately trying to woo the candidate in front of them. And what they don't realize is that the key influencer is actually the spouse or even the kids. And you'd be much better getting the spouse to go and meet with the principal of the local public school to talk about like moving the family across the country mm. than you would throwing more, you know, more compensation or vacation days at them. Mm. Thirdly, we talk about freedom. We find like the, the top candidates love their autonomy. And if you can say how you will not micromanage them and give them that freedom, they will respect and love you for it. <laughs> Fourthly, we talk about fortune. Like if you can offer recognition and rewards um, and, and talk about how you can help them create create wealth and, and align your interests with, with theirs, that's clearly motivating. And finally, fun. Like if you can, if you can say this is going to be a great place to work and you'll be energized in the long hours that you'll be putting in here with your teammates, um, you know, sell them on, sell them on that. And the big mistake we find people make is they, they don't think through what actually motivates the candidate and therefore how do we sell them? They just come up with their standard marketing spiel or they share why they like working the company, which may or may not have any um, impact on, on the individual you're trying to work. Mm. So much uh, valuable insight, and we haven't even delved into the R, uh, relationships part of that equation yet. Uh, but before I move on to some questions, Alan, not directly related to the book, uh, summarize the relationships chapter for us, if you will, along with uh, anything else from the book you, you want to make sure we know. Absolutely. It's interesting on, on relationships. We, you know, we found this is critical. At the same time, we find out that it's actually pretty common that managers and leaders are, are, are good at this stuff already. Mm. You know, that said, 
you have to be good at setting priorities. You have to be good at getting the who right, the right people in the right roles. And you also have to make the relationships work. And we find that when relationships work, you know, we, we, we're not talking about everyone sitting around the campfire, holding hands, singing Kumbaya. <laughs> um, you know, this isn't about happiness per se. This is about how do we have an engaged, a committed and coordinated team so that the right people are coming together at the right time to talk about the right things. Mm. What we find is most executives complain to us about the number of meetings that they have. When we go in and look at their monthly and at their weekly calendars and we say, hey, you know, why do you have that two hour weekly meeting there? They say, well, you know, we've always had it. <laughs> and we're, and so, you know, one of the useful things we've, we, we do is we get people to blow up a lot of their recurring meetings or make you know, why does it need to be 90 minutes? Why can't it be 20 minutes and you can all be standing? What, why, why can't one 30-minute meeting actually be three hours, but you have it once a quarter as a retreat? Like, we, we find that most executives, how they use their time is the one differentiating variable that they have. Mm. And yet most people allow their calendars to happen to them versus actually taking control. How do you get the right people to come together at the right times to talk about the right things? It really helps relationships work. The other is how do you get a how do you make sure one plus one equals three and that teams are actually committed not just to the success for themselves but to one another? How how, how are they going to invest their discretional energy? Um, into something and we often find that the best teams they're actually not particularly happy and it's like the sun isn't shining they've actually been you know they've been through hell they've really mm. suffered together and they've had some of these shared experiences that have you know really forged their bonds that means that, you know they, they don't need you know they're not looking back and they know that they actually have each other's back so when 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 times and turmoil hits again uh, they can rely on each other's so so that that sort of forms the core of our thinking around relationships but when you step back and say how does this all come together and you know your listeners can actually calculate their what we call their power scores right now which is a metric around how effective are they being as a leader and you can do this in your head or if you've got a pen and paper you know the first question is to what extent do you have the right priorities and score yourself on a score between one and ten and a ten out of ten means your priorities are clear they're correct and they're connected to the mission and vision of what you're trying to do mm. and you know and a five out of ten is you got you've probably got too much on your list not everyone could recite them and you know they're, they're the priorities of the moment but you know how are they connected to what you're trying to get done in three years time you know it's that's less clear mm. so you've got you've now got a score out of 10 for your priorities the second score is like to what extent do you have the right who again score yourself on a one to ten scale so to what extent do you have the right people in the right roles like a 10 out of 10 would be you have a players, you know, who are fantastic, who have a 90% chance of delighting you, you know, and, and you've got that winning team today and you've got a strong bench as well in case your, you know, your, your key head of sales, you know, resigns, you've got a, you've got a plan B there. So score yourself on that. And then finally, to what extent do the relationships work? So again, a score out of 10 and a 10 out of 10 would be the right people are coming together at the right time to talk about the right things people ha are committed to one another and people feel challenged to feel like they're playing to their strengths. Mm. So you've got three scores out of 10, multiply them together. 
So this is when you're allowed to consult with your <laughs> smartphone. Um, 10 times 10 times 10 is a, is a thousand. So you've now just calculated a score out of a thousand. And what we find is if you've just scored yourself at a 600 or above, you're, you're in rare air there. Like, mm. that, you know, you're already a top um, in the top 10% of, of leaders. Um, most people are scoring in the sort of 400, 500 range. Mm. Uh, and the bottom 20% are scoring below 300. You know, and, and then the next question is, well, what do your, how would your colleagues, how would your peers, how would your team calculate your power score? And you can actually go and have a conversation with your team and you'll quickly find everyone would score it very differently. And then rather than like, are we having fun or are we happy or, you know, you know give us the status update from last week, <laughs> you have an incredibly profound conversation about are we focused on, on the right things do we have the right people getting those things done and then are we working together as a team and what our clients are telling us is you can have this conversation in 20 or 30 minutes and totally refocus what do you as a leader and what do you as a team need to be getting done and where you should be focusing your time Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Alan, for that uh, detailed explanation. I have, again, found the book to be very enlightening and is one that I truly wish I had at my disposal when I was uh, in that hiring manager role. So if, if that's where you find yourself, then, then by all means, you want to pick up a copy of this book called Power Score, Your Formula for Leadership Success. Now, Alan, I want to ask you, as I, as I do every guest, if you could name for us a couple of books you've read or maybe are currently reading that have impacted you, and then share with us why or how they've impacted you as they have. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I've probably got one one classic and one and one that actually arrived from Amazon this morning. Oh, okay. So, so the, the classic is uh, I always find myself going back to Atul Gawande's The Checklist Manifesto, where you know, Atul Gawande, he writes in The New Yorker. He, he wrote a, in a best-selling book last year called, called Being Mortal. But his original, you know, his book, The Checklist Manifesto, says, like, how do you as a team or as a company focus on the seven, eight, nine, ten things that matter most and consistently make sure you're doing them. So you have it and he goes into the surgery room to say, what are the ten questions a surgeon could ask before an operation in order to reduce mortality and morbidity by more than fifty percent? Like he goes into the cockpits of airlines to look at, you know, why Sally Sullenberger was able to land on the Hudson um, uh, you know, and it was all comes down to the checklist. Mm -hmm. So what we find ourselves as a firm asking is how do we help ourselves as a company and also help our clients think through what is the checklist around priorities, around these who decisions and around relationships. And so, uh, so, so that's probably, that, that, that's one classic book I keep going back to. Mm -hmm. And then this morning, Marshall Goldsmith's new book Triggers arrived and I was cracking into it earlier around you know, why do we as leaders really struggle to change our behavior, even if we think we're going to be great at doing it? You know, what continually trips us up? And then what can we do to actually set up our environment to prompt us to behave in in ways that we 
um, to help us be the people we actually want to be um, in our professional and in our personal lives, rather than rather than thinking, well, tomorrow I'm definitely going to get up early and go to the gym. And yet, once again, when the alarm goes off, it doesn't happen. We're, we, you know, we, we are incredibly optimistic beings. Um, so, so I've, I've, I'm um, a third of the way into that and looking forward to finishing it. Well, uh, I'd like to ask what's next uh, on the horizon for you and, and your coworkers, your colleagues, your, your co-authors. Uh, what are you guys and your team working on now that, that you're excited about? Or are you just going to sort of breathe a sigh of relief now that the new book is out? <laughs> well, we were, we were, yeah, we were very grateful to see it hit the, the Wall Street Journal bestseller list about uh, last week. So that, that was great. So temporary uh, um, taking a deep breath. But then we've... You, as, as part of the research for this book, we actually have built a database of these 15,000 leaders focusing on what has made them successful in their careers. And we've probably only just begun to mine the, the surface mm. of, that, of that database. And we want to go back for more um, to really dig into the detail. Um, you know, there are differences between what COOs and what people in marketing and what people in sales and what you know people in finance, what makes the difference function by function. So that's going to be the subject of future articles and future, you know, future books that we may write. Well, I'm looking forward to it, Alan. Thank you so much for taking time out to be a part of the show. We are thrilled to have had you here and highly recommend the book to, to everyone we talk to. Wonderful. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on, Jeff. One great way to connect with Alan and find out more about him is by following him on Twitter. He's at Alan V. Foster on Twitter. You can find him that way on LinkedIn as well, but I'll put links to both in the show notes page for today's episode, which can be found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 089 for episode 89. We'll also link to the books and other resources that Alan mentioned during the course of our conversation. Remember our sponsor, SoFi.com. That's S-O-F-I.com slash read to lead. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Read to lead podcast.com slash iTunes and read to lead podcast.com slash Stitcher. If you feel the show is five star worthy, be sure and leave a written review so we know who you are. And we'll mention you by name in a future episode as a small way of saying thanks. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.